Welcome to the Vita Foods Insights Sustainability Series podcast. From responsible sourcing to supply chain logistics, this dedicated podcast addresses some of the industry's greatest challenges and champions the stories of sustainability success. Today's host is Heather Granato. Increasing calls for transparency in the supply chain are driving brands and suppliers into greater collaboration and dialogue to understand every aspect of sourcing. I'm Heather Granato, and as part of the recent Vitafoods Insights Virtual Expo Europe, I hosted a panel discussion exploring the trends, tools, and opportunities for companies to optimize the way they collect and share information around sustainability and sourcing. Joining me for the session in November 2022 were Juliet Barr, Director of Enterprise Sales at SourceMap, Yao Brights, Director of Growth and Innovation at HowGood, Dan McGlynn, Senior Account Executive at Trace Games, and Miranda Murphy, Principal Consultant at SEDEX. I couldn't be more pleased to have the four of you joining me today for what I think is a really important dialogue. So first, I'm going to ask each of you to give a couple of minutes with your perspective on why we're seeing this increased focus on sustainability in the supply chain and the biggest challenge you're hearing about, whether consumer demands, regulatory landscape, you name it. So, Juliette, I'm going to start with you. Hi, Juliette Bar, Director of Enterprise Sales at, at SourceMap. SourceMap exists for about 10 years and been doing supply chain mapping and transparency for about 10 years. And so we've seen really trends changing. So in our early days, it was a lot about marketing and certain brands that also were in their DNA. You know, sustainability was there. They had very big commitments around often deforestation or, or child labor. And they were kind of the pioneer of supply chain transparency. In 2020, there was a big shift that we noticed in the market between COVID, but also regulation came in. So now we're seeing much more due diligence regulation, whether it's in the U.S., there's the Section 307, also known as the forced labor ban. There is more recently the UFLPA that prohibits any goods that may have been done in Western China, like in the XUAR region, to enter the U.S. There's all the EU directive, the German due diligence supply chain. And I mean, there's dozens of them and I I could uh, spend like a a good 20 minutes just naming them. (laughs) But what we really saw on the market and from companies is a shift in the interest towards supply chain transparency. And now it's it became from a nice to have few brands leader in the space to know everyone has to do it with a big push from compliance, which also give visibility to people in operation and looking at actually knowing who is in your supply chain and what is in your supply chain is good for business from an operation standpoint. I think we've all experienced supply chain delays in our daily lives and actually knowing where your supplier comes from and where if there's any concentration of supplier or, or else is mandatory for some businesses from a compliance standpoint, but it's also a good business practice to avoid risk in your supply chain. And from sustainability angle, there's also due diligence there and, and compliance. There's anti-greenwashing laws that are coming in. And so now even more pressure on brands and manufacturers to prove that what they're buying is potentially certified. If it's organic, recycled, depending on the industry. Brand had recently, and, and also manufacturer or importers of goods in country had to muscle up in terms of better understand their supply chain and not only understand it, but being able to document it and report 
to it. Excellent. Thank you. I know we're going to dive more into this regulatory consideration. So important topic there. Xiao, let's come over to you. Thank you, Heather. It's, it's really a pleasure to be alongside you know, this group of experts. From our perspective at, at Hagwood, what we see on one hand is that there is a strong trend for more regulations in the sustainability space, as Juliet was saying. At the same time, we're also seeing, for example, with the sustainability market share index that was produced by the NYU and IRI, that products that are sustainability marketed are driving consumer preference. And so on one hand, you have this push for greater sustainability, more sustainability data. And on the other hand, when you look at current sustainability data that they have on their own supply systems is usually very small. And so you have this gap between the strong trend for asking for more sustainability data for both social environmental impact data, and on the other hand, the lack of data to meet those demands and in order to substantiate those claims in the market. And so that is really the gap that I think it's currently the biggest challenge because for a lot of ingredient suppliers, they often don't have traceability on their supply systems. They often have thousands of ingredients. Traditional approaches like doing a full life cycle assessment for each of those 1,000 ingredients, it becomes prohibitive. And so we need new solutions. Now, I appreciate that. We actually just talked about sustainability at Supply Side West and had a representative from NYU Stern Center talking about this importance of understanding from the baseline, your approach. So thank you on that. Dan, let's come over to you. Thanks, Heather. Amazing welcome. And uh, Zhao, I'm, I can't wait to hear about your break dancing skills. We'll, we'll save that for later. <laughs> but on the, on the subject of sustainability, you know, I, I was born in 1976. We had 4.1 billion people on the planet. We've now just tipped over the 8 billion. So it's doubled in my lifetime so far. We're running out of resources. As consumers, as people, as communities, we're more aware that it's not infinite, it's finite, and there's natural capital that we're just massively exploiting. For me, it fits into kind of four buckets really nicely. One is the consumer, we're more aware, we're driving more pressure, we're making better choices, um, and we're demanding better choices. Um, it's then the environment, the businesses, the nutraceutical companies, the ingredient businesses, the retailers, the grocery retailers selling us this, need to provide that. And there's trust elements to there. We've seen a big shift over the last 10 years with investment businesses divesting out of companies that are not managing to uphold and substantiating and keeping up with the, the pack of not being a green company. Mm -hmm. so for me, it's just been a massive shift. And a lot of that is about data. A lot of that is about awareness. And the governments really need to take a lead on this. I see, certainly in the UK, I see some amazing work happening across all categories. But for me, the theme is collaboration. We can't do it alone and we need to work together at multiple levels. So that's my take on it. I know. I appreciate that. Absolutely. This idea of trust, certainly building that up. But trust but verify might be uh, the code word there. So let's come to you, Miranda, about uh, what are you seeing in terms of the drivers? Thanks, Heather. And great to be here today. So yeah, totally agree with everything that's been said already. And the data gap that Jao in particular mentioned is essentially the founding principle of SEDEX. We facilitate the sharing of sustainability data between buying and supplying companies. And so, you know, that's obviously a, a massive challenge that we work with companies on a daily basis to address. 
In terms of the drivers behind the EU regulation, this is essentially the EU recognising that companies need to take accountability for the scope three emissions in their supply chain. And so that's the kind of founding principle behind the regulation. That's what we support companies with on a daily basis at, at ZX. Great. Thank you. You know, let's dive in a little bit more into this topic of regulatory compliance, because I do think it's one of those areas that is shaping the future. You know, there's a lot of discussion about the EU Due Diligence Act making its way forward. You've got the SEC looking at requirements in the U.S. So what do companies need to do now to make sure they're prepared to meet those requirements across multiple geos? So, Zhao, I'm going to come to you first on this. I think the first pattern that we're seeing at How Good is, and this is not just a EU phenomenon, it's not a US phenomenon. We see Canada coming up with the Modern Slavery Act. We're seeing, also seeing Singapore. The Singapore Stock Exchange just launched recently its sustainability reporting regulation. So I think the, the overall pattern is almost like um, it's not an isolated phenomenon. We are in a movement, in a trend towards more sustainability legislation. When we look at the, the current text, of, for example, of the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, there is a list of 136 metrics proposed by EFRAG, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, on what companies should be measuring. And so carbon emissions are definitely going to become important, more and more important in the future. But what we're also seeing is there's also this opening up of the need to track more sustainability data across more metrics than ever before. So I think like the way we see it at How Good is that companies need to develop this capability to both measure, improve, and communicate impact. Measuring is really about not measuring just what happens in your operations, but what happens across your supply system, across mm -hmm. carbon, but also other metrics like water use and biodiversity and land use and labor risk. The improving is really about providing tools so that functions in different companies can make decisions that drive sustainability. So for example, R&D teams can account for as much as 80% of the sustainability impact because they design the products. But often sustainability doesn't make it to the R&D teams. And so mm -hmm. empowering R&D, marketing, sales, finance, legal uh, with these types of tools is really fundamental. And the last piece is communication. It is really about, on one hand, following international reporting standards. Um, so it's not about measuring carbon footprint in your own way, but kind of looking at you know, standards like the Greenhouse Gas Emissions Protocol so that that information is comparable. And something that Juliet already mentioned, which is when you're making those claims on the market, either B2C or B2B, you need to look at guidance on green marketing claims. Yeah. Juliet, let's go to you, actually. You know, you gave us some great perspective from the start. What are you thinking in terms of companies that, uh, what do they need to do to make sure they're prepared for this? Joe said, it's very interesting to see not just the EU, not just the US driving it. I think that's what we hear the most about, but seeing it's a global phenomenon. And, and I think it's also kind of a good sign because supply chain are global. This buyer all over producing goods for company and for things we, we use. I think for us, what's very interesting is is this shift towards it's not anymore just about your company, your factories. It's about your supply chain upstream. So not only your direct supplier even, but your indirect. So tier two, tier three, down to the farmers, down to the mines, depending on which business you're in. And the common 
denominator, whether it's about EU deforestation, EU diligence, German supply chain, and some of the law I previously mentioned is it includes the upstream supply chain. So the first step, what we recommend our clients to do is let's start by you discovering who are your suppliers. Most companies don't necessarily know past the one they're buying directly from. Maybe they know the tier two if it's in apparel because they buy the fabric. But about the gener, the spinner, or in food, the processor, the traders, often it's a black box as you know, business as usual. And so the first step is getting to know who and what are they doing? Are they processing? Are they trading, et cetera? Because it's important to have those basic information so that then uh, you can go and ask them more information about the metrics that Joe was mentioning, or you can start asking them about the GHG emission, but you can't ask them anything if you don't know who they are and what they do. So that's kind of the first step. And it's interesting we're seeing in the US, for forced labor, it's very advanced law and very, with a lot of teeth because it's about chain of custody. So for a container coming in, custom is a doubt. They are allowed to ask you, show me the chain of custody until from, you know, from start to finish of your product to ensure it hasn't passed through XUAR region for China, if it's around cotton or polysilicons or tomatoes or, or, or for the other commodities, it's, it can be for just risk of forced labor. But it, and you cannot start collecting chain of custody documents. And so chain of custody document for everyone is invoice, bill of lading, transport document. You can't get that if you don't know who your suppliers are. We'll see yeah. if maybe Europe start asking that. But at the beginning, you, you need to know who they are if you want to start asking questions and, and collecting data from them. I think that's such an important point. And certainly, you know, if you don't know, how are you going to get the metrics, get the information? That's one of those areas in terms of risk in your supply chain. So you've got regulations, but you've also got like companies maybe need to just do the right thing and look at the risk that they've got. So when you're thinking about the biggest risks in responsible sourcing and how companies need to manage those risks, I'd like your perspective. And Miranda, I'd like to start with you on this one. Yeah, sure. And picking up just from the last point that you were making, the biggest risks, especially in the nutraceuticals industry, really lie around lack of supply chain visibility. So companies are increasingly being required to look at tier two and beyond. Forthcoming EU forced labour ban require companies to look beyond tier one to prevent, identify and mitigate forced labour. And this is a particular challenge in an industry with lots of processing stages, mixing of ingredients and traceability can be a real issue. Juliet, any further thoughts on that in terms of big risks and how companies should manage the risks? Yeah, I mean, the the, the compliance, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg. Like, if you, again, if you don't know, the, the biggest risk is that you're not going to comply. And we'll see what are going to be the punishment, if I can call it that way, for the EU. I think it's still, you know, work in progress. In the US, the risk is very obvious, is you can't import goods. If it's perishable goods, you're losing them. If it's not, it's annoying, it's like a lot of costs. You know, you have to reroute your container or you're losing your container. Aside from that, I mean, the risk that the trends we're looking, we're seeing around risk is around greenwashing claims, like the repetitional risk for brands is very big because as Joe said earlier, like consumer wants sustainability, but they also are much more on the watch out for greenwashing claims. And so it has a commercial risk in terms of reputation. And to Miranda's point, not having this kind of traceability, especially in the food or industry, there's also the whole quality insurance piece. 
We've seen it in Europe very recently with multiple examples. Sometimes the quality issue is not with your direct supplier. Sometimes it's upstream. And if you're not able to trace that and to identify the root cause, can have very big impacts. And then finally, what we're seeing, again, I was using the example of disruption. What people start to see when they start mapping and getting their nose at supply chain is sometimes they have a very concentrated supply chain upstream. They may be relying on only one trader or only one or two mm-hmm. processors. And we've seen with COVID, disruption in the world can happen. And if you have only one supplier in India and India shuts down because of COVID or, or, or China for whatever reason, then you don't have product anymore. And so those are all the risks that I think those low on responsible sources that are driven by responsible sourcing actually also benefits companies to get better understanding of their supply chain and kind of start mitigating and addressing those risks early on. I appreciate that. Absolutely. The idea of single supplier, when maybe it's an opportunity to invest and help other suppliers step up and uh, fill that gap that you have. Dan, thoughts there? This is a brilliant topic. For me, there's two real clear areas which is massive risk. One is about data, clean data, the right data, and verified data that you uh, correctly said, um, Heather. The second is collaboration because supply chain transparency is key. You need to understand more about what's happening deep within your supply chain. And the first mile element is key. And the further you get away downstream from the first mile, the more opaque and more difficult that becomes. There's a word of the year called permacrisis. And this is true. This is Collins Dictionary. Word of the year is defined as an extended period of insecurity and instability. We are constantly in permacrisis. We're going from one geopolitical issue to one, you know, huge pandemic to cost of living crisis. And so there's going to be so much disruption within, will continue disruption, kind of chokes and holds back a lot of progress to be made because there's always excuses. I think tech businesses have a massive role to play because Trace Gains, we provide the industry a single source of truth for their supply chain from the regulatory compliance and all the information and data around the products that they're buying. How good is an amazing source of data and information from a sustainability point of view on raw materials and ingredients? SEDEX is one of my most favorite companies because of the work <laughs> they do. I've worked very close with SEDEX. So the enforce and modern slavery, the human rights element, it mix into it. And from source map, I'm so passionate about supply chain mapping and traceability, things like palm oil. How can you gather the plantation data with palm oil if you are a huge multinational without people mm-hmm. collaborating? Because there's over one and a half million smallholder farms. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just crazy. So data and collaboration is 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 absolutely key. Um, mm-hmm. But we also need some standardization as well. A lot of the big buyers are big retailers, huge finished good manufacturers need to club together and agree what an industry standard is. Because I speak to lots of sustainability teams across multiple categories and divisions saying, we've got a small team, we have a limited resource. It's not just carbon that we need and CO2 <laughs> that we need and scope one, two and three that we need to do, even though that's a real opaqueness within there it's hundreds of other areas so which do we tackle and the changing regulatory landscape is crazy so Mm -hmm. 
we need to work together to i mean they've it's worked within the car industry i know a bit far removed but all the big car manufacturers got together say we all use the same suppliers we all use the same raw materials so let's standardize let's make it easier for the industry that's agree on what we're going to collect and let's help everybody provide that data and information I'm going to take a step over here on this idea of consumer desires, communication, greenwashing. Joe, I'd like to come to you and have you comment as you brought this up. Greenwashing, you know, what should companies do to be responsible when they're making claims around sustainability? While greenwashing is not something new, I think what is new within the trend of greenwashing is that one, regulatory authorities are giving more guidance on green marketing claims. That's one. And the second one is that there is more scrutiny. And so, for example, globally, the number of climate change litigation uh, cases have more than doubled since 2015. Mm -hmm. And so there is both kind of more guidance. There's also more scrutiny. And the first aspect, at how good we, we track the local regulatory guidance on green marketing claims. And so it really depends on the markets where you're making those claims. In the United States, we're talking about the Federal Trade Commission Green Guides. In the EU, looking at the Unfair Commercial Practices Directive and other member state-specific legislation. In the UK, uh, where you are, the Green Claims Code. And so it's really about kind of looking at what is the specific regulatory guidance in the market. What we tend to see, though, is that there are patterns. The guidance tends to be in a similar direction. And there are four things that the general principles of the Green Guides companies should look at, right? The first was qualifying the environmental benefit. So saying something like my product is sustainable, you're not qualifying the exact environmental benefit. Is it carbon footprint? Is it water footprint? Is it labor risk? So really qualifying what is the environmental benefit you're communicating. The second one is being very clear about what the benefit applies to. Is it the packaging? Is it the ingredients? Are you carbon neutral, but it's just transportation? And so really being very specific about what is the scope that is covered by that environmental benefit. The third one is really about not overstating directly or implicitly an environmental benefit. And the fourth one, of course, is also one of the most important is having a reasonable basis for the claims. But what is really important is that it's a, both of them, it's a mix of making the claim in the right way, implementing it in the way that is appropriate and follows the guidance, and also the substantiation. Thank you. Dan, thoughts from you regarding, you know, marketing claims and what companies need to consider when they're developing those in a responsible way. Yeah, more and more businesses are getting caught out or as Jal put, you know, you need to substantiate these claims because as a consumer, I've got that balance. I want to do right by the environment but I also want to do right by my bank balance as well. And that's kind of their challenges. So I'm relying and go back to this word of trust. Brands, retailers, they're doing the right thing. And when they're making a claim, it needs to be substantiated. But as a consumer, it's kind of learning process. So there's a couple of examples on that. Number one, when I see a plastic is compostable, brilliant. But actually, there's a claim on there that packaging is compostable. But actually, in the real terms, it needs to be compostable in a specific way. And mm -hmm. I can't just put it in my compost bin. Also, things like renewable energy it comes from a renewable source. Well, actually, the renewable source is wood that's being burnt by power stations. And that wood has been shipped from 
areas of uh, high natural resource and areas of deforestation. So when someone is saying something, more and more now as consumers are becoming wise to it, but that communication piece as well, that education piece from company to consumer is really important. I've got an example of that. There's a company called T-Pigs. We were talking about tea earlier, okay? So it may okay. be reversed because of the camera. So T-Pigs, it's not cheap. In the UK, it retails at £4 for 15 things. So first of all, there's the cost. However, what they have here is there's no plastic in this product whatsoever. So the pyramid, that is made from plant starch. And we can pop that in our local food waste. The inner bag, which looks like plastic, where the tea bags are in, that's made from wood pulp. And again, that can be compostable. The outer carton, it's recyclable. I don't have shares in tea pigs. But the point is, is that this is a high quality product. The USP is around the sustainability piece. But there is a cost to that. You know, as a consumer with a cost of living crisis, do I go for a tea that is three pence a bag or do I go for a tea that's 26 pence a bag? The point is, is that I'm not being lied to, I hope. Um, and it's very clear communication on a product. And that right. is so important now because reputation can go like that if you are claiming something. And then you get the topic of, plant milk and how good is that really versus sort of cow's milk and there's mm -hmm. there's always that argument there's always agendas that are being put out there and there's two other words to add to greenwashing green telling and green hushing so mm -hmm. there's businesses that are very much in areas that they have better visibility that like, yeah we're doing this we're doing that we're very forthright in this area but in areas where they're not quite so sure they're kind of dumbing down that kind of communication so it's, it's a real challenge at the moment having the right business ethos and doing the right thing completely long term makes the best commercial sense excellent thank you well obviously you know they they communicated well because they got you to buy their teas 100%. so that's a good thing and Miranda, I'd like to come to you on this point because, as Dan pointed out, Sedex, a lot of different areas that you are assessing, whether that's in terms of labor or carbon footprint or anything else. So when you're looking at these claims around sustainability, what information are companies able to use and how should they be communicating that? Yeah, so obviously with this, Sedex can support with the provision of reliable data on the supply chain transparency. So our members want to be able to communicate their performance more and more to customers who are demanding it, as we know that, you know, green products are growing the fastest, which is why having good data management is important. And you can use this tech platforms like ZX for strong reporting. We also point our clients to the UK Green Claims Code as a really helpful guidance, quite extensive guidance on supporting your sustainability claims. Excellent. Now, you've all mentioned kind of tech and certainly tools in tech an important part, and each of your companies offers some unique solutions in this area. Now, I'm going to make a caveat to the audience. I invited these folks to present some information. They did not pay to be here, so they're not going to give you a commercial pitch. If you have questions, please reach out to them and get their information. So this way, they're going to give information on kind of the macro approach. How and, and why should suppliers and buyers be using tech solutions to enhance and support their sustainability goals? And Maybe what are a couple of questions that they should ask themselves, as well as what they should be asking when they're assessing what technology, what tools are right for my company? So, Miranda, let me start with you on that one. 
So firstly, as I've mentioned, the obvious one is supply chain transparency. By facilitating the sharing of data, you can also understand your key risks and map your supply chain, which as we've discussed is becoming increasingly a requirement from regulators. Secondly, you can create an audit database. So manage your audits through these platforms with support from membership teams. And then you can draw on that data for reporting, as we were just discussing with greenwashing and ensuring that that data is reliable. Now, this all really builds um, up to protecting your reputation and having a strong responsible sourcing program in place. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a supplier, this also helps you meet the needs of your customers. One of the main reasons that supplier companies join SEDEX, for example, is because of a customer request. It might be that their customer is a large retailer and needs to respond to the regulation that we've been discussing. But also we're finding that suppliers are joining the platform in order to understand the risk in their own supply chain as well. Um, for example, if they're one step closer to sourcing those raw ingredients that we mentioned. And so interestingly, it's not just because of customer request. It's also because of the companies sourcing those raw materials and those ingredients that are recognizing the level of risk potentially in their own supply chain. In terms of questions you might want to ask yourself, I think the first one is maybe around what's your ambition level? So is compliance your priority? And if so, you know, you need to obviously understand all the regulation that applies to you. Or do you want to be a leader in your sector or your market? For companies that are making green claims, it sounds like they probably would be. So then setting that ambition level is really important so that you can understand what you want to do in order to achieve those goals. And then the second question I would say, linking back to your point about the tech platforms, is what can you do within your own company and what do you need a third party for? So what's your gap? Is it time? Is it knowledge? Is it data? And, you know, this doesn't always mean consultants or freelancers. It can be what Dan was speaking about earlier, which is collaboration within your sector. Um, You know, if you're looking for key supply chain or or sector specific information, I'd really encourage companies to collaborate within the sector in order to build out that understanding, because time is, as we know, ever precious. Ever precious and time is money. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) optimizing what we're doing there. Dan, let's come to you. Uh, Questions to ask and why our buyers and uh, suppliers should be using the tech and the tools. Within food, beverage, dietary supplement, anything within that industry, it's the most complex, multifaceted industry globally. And with that, there's just huge data sets. And one of the problems that we have in the industry is actually technology can have a negative impact on that. As our demand for data grows, both depth of data and breadth of data, more and more businesses are talking to turning to technology. Brilliant, that's absolutely right. But so many technology providers, you know, it's not just one bit of data that you need. You need thousands of bits of data from thousands of suppliers, about thousands of raw materials. Single-use data is now becoming a massive problem within the industry, very much like single-use plastic is within the industry and the environment. If a tech provider is adding more complexity or more challenge downstream to your suppliers, then it's not sustainable. What we need to have an environment is where the smart technologies are creating an environment where you create 
a piece of data once, whether it be a certificate, whether it be information about the green claims or sustainability about a product, and have that ability to be able to share multiple, multiple times. And with data providers, as I mentioned earlier, being connected, that's the key. So anyone looking to partner with a technology business it's just about great. You can send out this self-assessment questionnaire. I've got 500 suppliers. I get a thousand products. I can send out thousands of questionnaires. Great. That's easy for me. I can get that data there. But actually, time and effort and drain on resources throughout the supply chain, all these highly qualified technical people are just doing an administration role. So mm-hmm. gathering this data, we need to gather it in a much, much, much smarter way. So absolutely echo everything that Miranda just mentioned there. You need to be very clear on what you need to gather, but how you're gathering it is really, really important. And I've spent the last 10 years thinking about this, talking about this, which is why I work for the company that I do, because this is the solution to that massive problem. And I talk to technical teams and sustainability teams, you know, throughout the industry. And one of the biggest challenges is I've been asked for too much information. It just takes far too long. So they're having to react to things rather than being proactive with things. Yeah, so much data and and the best way to manage it. I have a good friend who's been a buyer with a contract manufacturer. And I mean, she was managing things on Excel spreadsheets to try and keep track of all of this. So yeah, yeah, I'm delighted to see that there are solutions coming in. So Zhao, let's turn to you. What should people be considering when they're looking at using technology and these solutions effectively? For a lot of our partners at Hug, it has been there is an area of corporate reporting, right, where you report the sustainability impact at kind of a corporate level. Now, there's also an area around product reporting, and typically, what we see from customers, it's great if they know, you know, from a corporate perspective, what is the impact of your company, but they will be even more concerned about the impact of the specific product that they're buying from you, because for one single company, one product might have huge environmental and social impact risks, and another one can have completely different risks. One of the fundamental questions for us is, are you able to measure, improve, and communicate your impact at a product level? Mm -hmm. Because that's the the level of granularity that kind of cuts across the supply system in a way, and that allows you to manage sustainability impact in a more holistic way. And the second one is, can you do that at scale? Some of our ingredient supplier partners have tens of thousands of SKUs. How is it that, you know, and for each of those 10,000 of SKUs, as, as Dan was just saying, they're getting multiple requests from their customers to input data using different formats. And so how do you navigate that, right? And so the second question is really about, are you able to measure, improve, communicate the impact of your products at scale in a way that both saves you time, but also helps drive the industry forward in the sustainability impact that we're meant to have? No, I appreciate that. I'm I'm picturing like a little person trying to gather data and it's like this tsunami of information is just washing in exactly that they're going to need to try and surf on. <laughs> so, Julia, let's have you comment on this about, you know, suppliers and buyers using technology to enhance and support their sustainability goals. Agree with so much of what we've been said. And so I, I, I guess the, the piece for us that we've seen is almost very basic, but essential is make sure you actually know what you're trying to get out of your suppliers, you know, to the point of sometimes you 
overflow them with requests, but because if you go back to why I'm actually asking this question, it's sometimes unclear. And so you're just trying to get as much data as possible. And, and so being very, very clear on the goal, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to get out of this platform? Because technology is amazing, but at the end of the day, it's a tool. It's mm -hmm. a tool to execute on what you're you know, trying to do. And if you don't tell it's exactly what it needs to do. It's going to give you a lot of information that might not be relevant for compliance or might not give you the insights that you need. So I think being very, you know, strategic and thoughtful in setting goals and KPIs of an insight that you're trying to achieve is the first one. And then the second is something that, I mean, has been mentioned by everyone, but collaboration. Again, if you're going to ask things of your suppliers, you need to want to know them. You need to want to collaborate with them because surprise, surprise, you're going to discover things you're not happy about. That's the mm -hmm. reality. And are you here to collaborate with them and work with them to make it better? I mean, in some cases, you might not want to. When you discover something very, you know, not aligned with your code of conduct or things like that, you may want to consider it. But at the end, if again, if you're expecting them to spend time and answering you, you need to have goodwill and want to collaborate with them. So it can also be give them feedback when you're collecting mm -hmm. data, give them feedback on how well or not well they're doing and work with them potentially if there's a need for improvements. How do we can do it as an industry? How can we do it together? I think those are the two biggest, very simple set goals that will collaborate seems very simple, but actually to implement those and to be, you know, very strong on it, it's, it's not that easy. And it, it does require time and, and thinking things through. Those are the biggest for us advice that we see and we try to, to support our clients with. And in terms of questions to ask, whether it's your suppliers uh, first, is also ask them, are you already doing some initiatives? Some of them have already system in place. Again, we don't want to ask them to do things differently than they're already doing. So ask them just simply questioning, are you willing to do it? And do you have system in place? What we discover with some supplier where we do that, like a readiness assessment, some are ready to go, API, we can do it. And other are like, well, I, especially in the first mile, I don't have internet. I'm handling my books with Excel or on paper. So you're very nice to ask me about traceability, but I have bigger fish to fry. Or actually, you know, it could be useful. Can you help me put a system in place? Mm -hmm. So trying to understand where they are in their journey towards digitization and transparency is usually, I think, the, a, good way, a good way to start and also to show goodwill with your suppliers. That's so very critical. And certainly I've heard so much about collaboration. It's investment in your own supply chain. It's investment in building relationships with your suppliers and together trying to address the very serious concerns that we have in terms of biodiversity and human labor rights and climate change. So I'm excited to see how that will progress with our nutraceutical industry and beyond. So Juliet, Zhao, Dan, Miranda, thank you again for taking the time to join us for our virtual expo panel discussion. It has been an absolute pleasure and I've made multiple notes for myself to follow up and learn more. So again, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thank You're you. Welcome, Great to be here. Bye. Thanks everyone. Thanks to our audience. We'll be back soon. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to check the show notes that will allow you to link to the information discussed in today's podcast, as well as any sponsorship opportunities. The Vita Foods Insights Sustainability Series podcast happens monthly. So be sure to stay tuned, subscribe 
and even suggest the series to a friend. 